welcome you to Doxodeo Hatfield, a multi-ethnic family on mission, passionate about Jesus, passionate about community, and passionate about serving the city of Chwaneka. It's really great to see you guys. Welcome back. Um, I think last week we had the best service we had the whole year so far. It was really incredible. Uh, but it's really great to have you guys with us. And uh, please use all your puns and your jokes for haven't seen you guys in a year. Uh, best conversation we've had all year. All those. Use all of them. I'm more than happy. No judgment from our side. Uh, my name is Joe, and together with my wife, we lead the team that leads Doxedo Hatfield. It's really great to have you guys with us. Uh, Paula was saying she's kind of tired of us just sitting down, so don't worry. This is our last week in the kind of unplugged, around the table, sitting down space. Next week, I'll be shouting at you, walking around, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, well, technically, it's Taiki next week, so yeah, okay. We'll ask Taiki to shout at you guys while he's walking around. But uh, can I ask you to open up a Bible with me, if that's all right? Um, no surprises there to the book of Acts. Fifth book of your New Testament. We've been working through the book of Acts uh, since last year already, and this is our third series in this book, and we're calling it Tales of the Table. And we're saying that, as we've often said, that the most powerful symbol, gathering space of the early church was never the temple, it was the table. It surrounds thousands of these meals that people got to know what it means to follow Jesus. And all these boundaries of race and background and ethnicity got broken down, people got filled with the Spirit, and the church moved forward. And so we're saying, man, imagine if the, if, the, if the tables of the early church could speak. What stories would they tell us of life change? And here's the thing. We serve the same Father. We have the same good news, the same Spirit in us. So what could our tables around our houses, in our offices, in our communes, what would those tables begin to tell if we took this good news seriously? So last week we spoke about this incredible passage where we see three completely different people, the blue collar, the intellectual kind of savvy businesswoman, and then this slave girl getting saved and transformed. It's how Jesus works with each of us so differently. And we said, can you raise your expectation? Maybe you kind of floating into this year, but maybe raise your expectation to say, I believe that God wants to continue rewriting my story. He wants to work in me and raise your expectation to where He is. And so this week we wanna say, but not just working in us, but expect Him to work through us, in where you are. Not just the pastors and the prophets and the evangelists and all these people, but you and I as the, the programmers and plumbers and painters and pediatricians and politicians maybe even. Uh, God wants to work through all of us. Everyone's like, no, don't, not that last one, I'm sorry. But we're praying God wants to work through us. So let's continue reading. Acts 17 verse 1. It says, After they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. And as usual, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and raise and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah. And some of them were persuaded, and they joined Paul and Silas, including a large number of God-fearing Greeks, as well as a number of the leading women. 
But the Jews became jealous and they brought together some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city. Attacking Jason's house, they searched for them to bring them out into the public assembly. And when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And Jason has welcomed them. And they are all acting contrary to Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, Jesus. The crowd and the city officials who heard these things were upset. And after taking a security bond from Jason and the others, they released them. And as soon as it was night, the brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. And upon arrival, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. The people here were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. And since they received the word with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And so consequently, many of them believed, including a number of the prominent Greek women as well as the men. Just to them. I love the scripture because it gives us, in the first instance, almost the effect of when a church sets its expectation in the everyday. Not, you know, we have this Billy Graham crusade planned for the first term, but as I step into Monday, God has the expectation in my home, with my kids, with my husband, in my office space, at the university, in my class, He has the expectation to use us powerfully, to bring impact, not just to go to church as the gathering, I love gathering as the church, but to be the church. And we see here the effect that that had in the early, I mean, we have a picture of what the church is now. At this time, there was no such thing. You just had Jesus followers and Jesus communities and suddenly the Roman Empire that had most of the known world under its thumb suddenly found itself with this beautiful virus eating it from the inside out. And this virus was one of love and truth and grace and care. And suddenly they realize, man, this thing is turning our world upside down. Listen to what it says. Highlight this in your Bible there. It says, these men have turned the world upside down and they've come here too. And then verse 7 says, how were they doing this? They were acting contrary to Caesar Augustus' decrees. They were saying, no, there is another king. And who is that? Jesus. So, I mean, this church, the early church, they must have been so effective as just the everyday average Joes like you and me going about their business, speaking about showing Jesus that the Roman Empire sat up and they took note. It had the effect on the very fabric of the society they were in. And yet these Jewish elite were so jealous of what was happening that they said, no, we need to stamp out this movement. So they caused this riot. And what is the crime that they are accusing them of? They're saying, no, these arrogant Jewish men, they are saying that there is in fact another king. And that Greek word for another actually means of another kind. So they were saying, you know what? These people are living another kind of life. Why? Because they are serving another kind of king. I'm going to serve the king of the day, whether that is the literal ruler of the empire or whether it's the kings of our society, the kings of money and status and sex and the kings of of wasting my life after things that I know will never fulfill me. Maybe the kings of upside down living. No, they're saying there is one king, the only king, and we are going to serve that king, this other king. And because they were serving this other king, they were beginning to live just different lives. And the Roman Empire sat up and it said, why? Why are you living like this? Why are you caring not just for your poor, but even our poor? 
They were living these different kinds of lives. And I said, you guys are turning the world upside down. But we actually believe that the Bible says that at the very beginning when there was this, this break in relationship with our Creator, when sin entered into the human story, we actually believe that the world prior to that was right side up. God said, this is good to live in relationship with me, to live as a representative of me. And then sin actually went and turned, we believe, in a sense, the world upside down. Now sexuality is upside down. Finances is upside down. The way that we use and abuse one another, it's upside down. The way that the poor are just cast out, it's upside down. The lack of faith and love and hope in our country and in our city, it's upside down. South Africa feels upside down. And so in fact, when they are being accused of saying, man, you Christian people are coming here and turning the world upside down, what they're actually doing, they are turning the world right side up. For the first time, sexuality is being turned right side up. The way we think about our money and the blessings of God is being turned right side up. Family is being turned right side up. A country that has an incredible story, but that is really on its knees at the moment, can be turned right side up. And how does that happen? It's when there's an expectation for the people to say, not the pastors and the prophets and the evangelists, but the people of God who go into their Mondays with the expectation that in 2023, I wanna meet God where His expectation is. And that is to use me powerfully in my home, to use me powerfully in my business, to use me powerfully amongst those in my school. Not just to work in my life, like we said last week, to continue to write your story, but to work powerfully through your life. Is that your expectation for 2023? I know last week I told you guys, man, my eyes were burning when I came to church on the 1st of Jan. I know we barely like into it yet. The schools are only starting next week. We all started working on the 3rd. So I know you're still like changing gears and you're getting into it and it's like five cups of coffee at the moment. But can I just ask you, is your expectation where God's expectation is for your life? Because can I tell you, if you're a Christian here today, He has plans for you. Amen. He has people that He wants to impact through you. He has discipleship in your workspaces that He wants to accomplish through you. He has a city that He wants to turn right side up. And all I wanna maybe ask us today is to say that when I see, and we're gonna look at just those two ideas, when I see the church, I don't see organized events. When people speak like that, when is the church going to? And I always have to kind of bite on my lip when, when I hear that. I understand what people are saying when they say that. But guys, the church is always meant to. Because tomorrow morning, church is going to start. This is halftime talk. But the church begins tomorrow morning. So yes, when is the church going to? I'm one of those people. I'm, I'm speaking with you. And what I see here is not a church who waited for the events and the organizing and the moments. Guys, it's a holy moment this weekend. Prepare. It was a church who just had the habit of making themselves available in the everyday to be used. Just in the everyday. It was, as we say in English, habitual. It was just a way of living. It wasn't an event, it was a lifestyle. And so can I just maybe take us to just two incredible habits that I wanna maybe implore you as we kick off this year. Last week we spoke about what some of these rhythms would look like if God were to work in me powerfully. But what would some small just habits of change look like for God, for me to set myself available for God in small ways and profound ways to turn the world's kingdom right side up again. First up, it was just this. The early church had the habits of just good newsing. 
No, that's not a word, but we are going to make it a thing, right? They were just good newsing kind of people. The word gospel we were joking before, and you only need one pull, friends. The gospel, the good news. And it landed as flat as it landed before the service as well, but I, I, I think we'll make it work. Mana's eyes are just closed. The gospel is this very churchy word that simply metanoia, um, it just means, or evangelion, just good news. It just means good news. We've been reading through the book of Mark with our kids last year on Wednesday mornings over just rusks and tea. And the book of Mark just starts by saying, this is the good news of Jesus. <laughs> so we just kept asking our kids like, why is Jesus good news? Why? And this, it says, the people of the early church were not people primarily of religion and structure and influence and polit you know, political upheaval and all these things. They were just people who good news wherever they went. At a bri, at a conversation, in the office on a Monday morning, speaking about whatever series you're watching, they were just people who went about their day and their week and their month and year, and whether they were playing or working, the early church and every facet of society, they couldn't help themselves but just good news. Just, just speak about, live out this good news of who Jesus is, His life, death, His resurrection. It changes everything for everyone, so everyone needs to respond in faith and realign their lives and their convictions to who He is. They're just good news. So highlight this in verse 2. I love that it says, as usual, Paul went into these spaces. As usual. It wasn't like, guys, now we're going to plan it, the one moment of the year where the church is going to make impact. No, just as usual. This is just what we do. Paul goes to the people that had the most religious kind of bearing at that stage, the Jewish people and he goes into their synagogues and what does it say? He reasoned with them. He reasoned. That, that Greek word simply means it's where we get our word dialogue from. It wasn't like he was standing on a soapbox in the synagogue and he was shouting at the people, serve Jesus, come on people, you know, sort out your life. And he dialogued with them. As usual in my office, I'm just dialoguing about the good news. As usual with my friend that doesn't know Jesus yet, I'm just dialoguing. I'm not weird, out there, Jesus freak. Um, you should be a Jesus freak, but not in that way. I just can't help myself. Everything in my life is just connected to this Jesus. I'm just dialoguing with people. Paul couldn't help himself. The early church, as usual, stepping into a Monday, they would just dialogue about the good news. And what are they doing? It says they were explaining and proving. And the Greek for the first means to open up. And the second means just to place it before people. If I think you're saying like, I can't have these intense theological discussions with people, you don't have to. Open up about your faith. Open up about what Jesus is doing in your life. Open up about the story that He has begun to rewrite. And you just place that before. One of the ways it can be read is to, to set aside one another. If I look at the life of my friend, I'm seeing someone who is living already for something. We were at a wedding yesterday and just saying that over and over again, man, all these good things of money and sexuality and status and career and friends and family, such good things, but insufficiently, unfortunately, not God things, heavy things, identity things. And I'm just laying these things next to one another. It's not a condemning message of, of hell and condemnation and, and you better turn or burn. It's a, it's a call to say, God is making all things new. He's not abandoning His creation. 
And it has been in the final chapter launched by the life, death and resurrection of Jesus to, to pay for our sins, to deal with our brokenness, to come and restore and renew. And I'm inviting you to lay your life next to that good news and to lose your life, to gain it in Jesus. I'm just speaking. I can't help myself. I'm dialoguing. I'm just opening up and I'm just laying it beside the life of those around me. And what happens? Because I serve another kind of king, I can't help but just live another kind of life. It's not people literally looking at us, at you and me, man, the pressure of that would be insane. But it's saying, it's almost like N.T. Wright says, we are like these, these mirrors that are getting polished progressively so that the sun shining to us would shine into the world. We are the image bearers, the reflectors of God. I'm just saying, God, may my sexuality just reflect who you are. May the, my use of money just reflect who you are. May the way that I speak about different ethnic groups in our country and politics reflect who you are. May my response to some of the political upheaval and the challenges our country is facing, may that reflect who you are. And because of that different kind of king, my life just becomes different. Not perfect. Please though, if anyone knew me for all of five seconds, they would knew it can't be found in this man or this man or this woman. It must be found in something greater, someone greater. I love Paul. He actually writes about this very thing, just going about your day, just good newsing in your family. You've got people in our church whose spouses, maybe they're not Christian. And it's that, that wrestling with man. How do I live with someone that I love so much and yet our worldview is so different? We go about our day just good newsing in action and speech. It says here in Titus 2, Paul writes to one of his little young protégés in the church, young leaders, and what does he tell him? He doesn't say, get everyone theological degrees, make sure that everyone is like sharpened up. He just says this to them. Look, look how practical this is. He says, teach the older men in the church, let's say 45 and up, hey, uh, exercise self-control, be worthy of respect. Teach the older women, no age connected there, live in a way that honors God. Do not slander others. Don't be a gossiper and don't be heavy drinkers. I'm not sure what was happening in that church, but they're saying that all the ladies, Puza Thursday. Um, and he says to the young men and young women, Titus 2, it says, I'm encouraging you to live wisely. Man, can I tell you, if you are under 25, nothing in the world at the moment is setting you up to live a wise life. Yes, successful life maybe. A life of hedonism and pleasure, but a wise life. No one's aiming for that. Paul is saying, man, if you want to make your life count, live wisely. I'm encouraging. He even says to those finding themselves in the early church in the place of slavery, he says to them, be entirely trustworthy and good, even where you find yourself. Why? Because imagine a society where people live in such a way, where the slaves are even trustworthy, where young and old conduct themselves in a manner that, that shocks the people around them. Why would you do this? And that's why Paul says in verse 10, if we do this, it's not so that we would earn the love of God. It's because of the love of God. My habits can never shift God's love, but God's love can absolutely shift my habits. He says in verse 10, if we do this as a church, then they will make, verse 10 says, the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. Man, being an attractive church, that's what I want. I want a good using church. He says, man, Monday morning is almost here. It's time to be the church. It's just a habit. 
And the second one was just habits we see in this passage of what? How, how do we get to this place of just good newsing? Is it chanting? Is it praying? Is it, is it going on, you know, long walks in the, in the woods and silence? Is it, is it, you know, hurting yourself and whipping yourself on your back and having all these... Can I tell you, we are always, if you've been serving Jesus for more than five years, maybe, maybe some of us here are, are right new into this journey, but some of us have been serving Jesus for a couple of years. And I want to tell you, we're in a dangerous place when we often say, what is the new thing? Show me the new technique, the new thing that will just refire my faith and get me back on track and just passionate about Jesus. Friends, there is no new thing. There's just deeper into the only things. The gospel is not the, the, the ABCs of the faith. Tim Keller says it's the A to Z of the faith. It's not the diving board into the pool that is the rest. The gospel is the pool. It's in the basics. The best athletes are the ones who after year 20 are still doing the basics better than everyone else. Messi's not like doing backflips all the time on the field. He's just doing the basics better than everyone else. The soldier who's been a career-long, you know, elite fighting unit with those around them, it's because they're doing the basics the best. And what were some of the basics? Listen to how the writer Luke, he's the doctor writing this book of Acts for us, and he goes out of his way to make a comment about these Bereans. Read with me in verse 11. It says, these people were of more noble character than those Thessalonians. Why? Since they received the word with eagerness and they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So Paul, he's, he's, he's seen as a rabbi, so he goes to the Jewish synagogues first before he goes to the non-Jewish people because he knows he will be given a moment to speak as a rabbi. So and here we have brother Paul, he's gonna say something and I'm sure usually they are quite sorry that they did that because Paul just goes straight into this Jesus thing. But Paul speaks and these Bereans don't just sit there like cool, cool, cool church anyway, what am I gonna eat this afternoon? Or they don't just say yes, you know, whatever the pastor says or whatever my pastor from home says or prophet, you know, bishop, whoever. They say, okay, I'm hearing what this Paul is saying, but let me go and look at the scriptures for myself. Is this so? This man is making claims that will upend my life. If Jesus is who he says he is, I can never live the same again. I can never function the same again. I have to see if this is the case. And what happens? They receive this word with eagerness. Can we just say between the 1st and the 8th of Jan, have you done anything with eagerness yet this year? I would say no. Maybe coffee in the mornings. That's the closest I'm getting to like, yes, like eager expectation. Man, I long to be this kind of Christian. Man, the Word, I have the opportunity tomorrow morning to get up half an hour earlier and open up the Scriptures, whether on my iPad, on my phone, on paper, doesn't matter. And I cannot wait to encounter God with eagerness because He's got an expectation to use me so powerfully. Where am I going to learn the, the character of this Jesus, the words, the, the, the culture of this Jesus? How am I going to encounter the Spirit just rewriting all my trauma and my brokenness from the past, the scripts that I've always been listening to in my mind, defining who I am? How will those things be changed if not like the Bereans daily, it says, they were just getting into the Jewish scriptures? Now we have an even more defined and full picture with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus showing us where all of that has gone. We live on the other side of this finished work and that Jesus is inviting you to say, come and meet me. Come and encounter me with eagerness. Let me come and transform you so that you would be in the church. It was just a habit. It wasn't a reading plan. 
It wasn't a commitment. I'm going to read the whole Bible in the next seven days. And then you're like completely out of your mind by like Leviticus and day two. It was just a habit. Just encountering the living God in the scriptures. And the world was just being transformed. Just Friends, can I say with all due respect, I come from Bluffington originally, so I can say this. It's only year three and a bit in Pretoria, so I'm not a, I'm a full Pretoriana just yet. So maybe I can say with respect that I think Pretoria is one of the most religious spaces I've ever been in. There is more proclamation of faith in this city than I've ever seen. And what I want to say to us, friends, is we don't necessarily need more Christians in businesses and families and homes and schools. We need more Christian thinking, Christian conviction, Christian living. Less speaking out of both sides of our mouth. Yes, I'm a Christian, but my sexuality looks exactly like my colleague who is not yet a Christian. Yes, I'm a Christian, but my spending looks exactly like my friend who is not yet a Christian. There was a change in the very worldview of these people because they submitted themselves in eagerness to God. God, in your word, just come and form me, change me, send me into the city as a pastor, programmer, plumber, pediatrician, painter, whoever you are, send me as a missionary full of your word for the city. And maybe you say, the Bible, reading the Bible, I was hoping for something more profound than that on the 8th of Jan. Like, give me some spiritual practice. Give me something. Friends, it's as simple as that. Can I show you a quick video? I love this. They speak about a bit of research that was done a couple of years ago on the difference it makes between reading the Bible once or twice a week and three to four times a week. Check this out with me, and then we're going to speak about what that would look like practically. There was a recent study by the Center for Bible Engagement where they pulled 40,000 general population in the U.S. from 8 to 80, and they just wanted to see how we are engaging with Scripture. Right. And they discovered something that actually became kind of the profound discovery of the entire study. They weren't even looking for this, and this is kind of became the highlight of the study. Right. when we're in the scripture one time a week, and that could be church on Sunday, that's pastor saying you open your Bible, we hear the message, one time a week had negligible effect on some key areas of your life. So I'll, I'm going to spell that out more here in a moment. Two times a week, negligible effect. Now at three times a week, there was a blip on the map, like there was a heartbeat. Something happened, again, a heartbeat. Okay. But here was a profound discovery. When we're in the scripture four times a week, it literally spikes off the chart. You would expect that it'd be one, two, I mean, there'd be a gradual incline on the effect and impact that would have in your life, but it was literally one, two, three, four, something radically happens. Okay, you got my curiosity. To this extent. What kind of behavior is being affected? Feeling lonely drops 30%. Wow, four times a week in the Bible. Four times a week in the Bible. Okay. Anger issues drop 32%. Uh, bitterness in relationships, marriage, a relationship with your kids, and so on, drops 40%. Alcoholism drops Crazy. 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant. You know, if there was one area when I'm talking with people that, that they'll be honest about is they just feel spiritually stagnant. Ask them the question, how much time are you spending in Scripture? If they're in the Scripture four times a week or more, it drops 60%. Wow. Viewing pornography drops 61%. That's very important. Now, on a flip positive side, sharing your faith jumps 200%. 
Wow. Because you have a confidence in God's word. And then discipling others jumps 230%. Brilliant. What is he saying? It's not a moment, it's just a habit. He's not saying those who committed to read the whole Bible in a month, just those who just got into one bite at a time. Can I, can I ask you, what did you eat last week, Wednesday, in the afternoon? What was your lunch last week, Wednesday? Can anyone remember? And you're like one of those type A people always eat the same thing and wear the same shirts. And Most of us don't know, right? But I know this, most of you did eat something last Wednesday. I ate something, I don't know what it was, but I know it was good for me, it nourished me, and I needed it, and I'm here because of it. Friends, that's what the Bible is. It's not necessarily having to change your entire existence every single day, but three or four times a week, I'm eating, I'm nourishing, I'm getting the worldview of a Father who loves me and a Spirit who is with me and a Christ who died for me to resurrect me, I'm getting that into the marrow of my soul. Friends, you are getting good news every day by a million things. Netflix is incredibly good at good newsing you. Your friends are incredibly good at good newsing you. Politics and News 24 and, and just the culture of our city, that is the most powerful good newsing happening every single day. If we think one quick little sermon on a Sunday is gonna push back the tidal wave of good newsing, secular good newsing, we are mistaken, friends. We need the Spirit to make the Word alive in us four, five, six times a week and you will see your life change. So can I give you a couple of examples maybe of what this can look like? Grab hold of one of these. We all put together differently. One example, maybe this is something that you want to do as a habit. Doxado, this year we're going to dive into our love theme in February, but the Doxado family has written a whole year in the New Testament plan that you can follow. And so maybe go and look at that on version and say, man, I'm not going to bite off the whole thing yet, but man, I'm going to commit in the next 365 days to read through the New Testament and let the Spirit of Jesus just impact and speak to me. Maybe that's, maybe that's you. Maybe someone else would be saying, man, I want to take a bit of a step up, not maybe going and doing a master's yet, but just like a bit of a step up in, in theology and the Bible. Can I encourage you? The guys at Bible Project are doing the Lord's work. Can I just say? They are doing spectacular work and putting world-class um, scholarship out there for free. And so they've got this thing they've been running the last year called Classroom, where they take you through themes and books of the Bible. These guys are absolutely phenomenal at what they're doing. So my, maybe say, listen, my wife has been doing that. Um, instead of watching the series with me, she'll just go downstairs and she'll just do another um, session with the guys in this classroom. And it's been just challenging and changing her so profoundly. Saying, man, I just don't want to read the Bible. I want to examine the Bible like the Bereans. I want to, I want to break apart this Bible and get it into my soul. Maybe one other option, a few more, a reader in the book form, a brilliant book by Gordon Fee, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. It's gonna take you through everything from genre and how do I read this and how do I not misuse it and how do I really follow Jesus passionately? And lastly, maybe you are more the auditory kind of person. Once again, on version, I use a different app for it, but that's whatever works for you. They've got in every conceivable language. If you're a Mandarin speaker, they've got it for you. If it's Zulu, if it's English, if it's Afrikaans, whatever it is, they've got audio versions of the Bible for every single person out there. So instead of I'm, I can oversaturate myself with podcasts and music and all that, I've really gotten to the place where if I'm packing just a dishwasher, I'm just listening to the Word. Is it like the angels come down and the gold dust just descends upon me every single time? Not really, but it's another bite in this diet. In 10 years from now, my worldview would have shifted significantly because the Word is in my heart, it's in my mind. It's a habit. 
And if you say, man, that's too small. I want something heavy, like in January, like give me, give me heavy weights to lift. Friends, it's not that. Don't overestimate what you can do in the next month, but don't underestimate what God can do over the next year. If you take the small bites, listen to what James Clear says, brilliant book, Atomic Habits, speaking about habit forming. He says, every action you take, every small little thing is a vote toward the type of person you wish to become. No single instance will transform your beliefs, but as the votes build up, so does the evidence of your new identity. Every single time I come to church, I open my Bible, I just have that conversation with that colleague. It doesn't have to change the world because every single one is a vote as to the city changer that God has made me to be. Take one of those and say, you know what, not twice a week, not three times a week, but at least four times a week, I'm going to meet the living God in the Scriptures. This last thought here, um, that is what it is. If you're like, I don't want to read to become this like bookworm and impress everyone with my knowledge, that's not the point. Listen to what it says here in verse three. Highlight this. It says that what was he proving to them? That it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus that I am proclaiming to you. See, for the Jewish people, they were wrestling with the fact that hundreds of years after they'd really understood that God was saying, I'm going to finalize my new creation work, they would go to passages like Isaiah 53 and it would say that this Messiah, the Savior, would be like this, this suffering Messiah. And yet they would go to passages like Psalm 2, which said that this, this Messiah would be a ruling Messiah. And they're like, how's that going to work? And so some of them decided, we're probably going to have to have two Messiahs then. Because the one would be the ruler and the one would be the, the one who just who takes the blow. And so they called the one Messiah Ben David after the, the, you know, this national hero, King David. He's going to be the ruling one. And the other one they called Messiah Ben Joseph. He's going to almost like Joseph was mistreated. He's going to be mistreated. And Paul comes into the synagogue and he says, I want to tell you that the Messiah has come. It's not two different people. It's not the suffering one and the king. It is the suffering king that has arrived. And he doesn't, he doesn't come with sword in hand, he comes with nails in hand to rescue his people and to take this good news to the whole world. What was Paul doing? He's doing the one thing that you should do when you open the Bible. What does it say about Jesus? What does it say about Jesus? Because from that place, everything in your life, you will see being transformed. Meeting God for the purpose in His Scriptures to see Jesus, hear Jesus, be impacted by Jesus with eager expectation. Just make it a habit because God so powerfully wants to use you this year. You have no idea. So I end off. We've used this example before, but can I, can I do a sales pitch quickly? The, the guy in the story behind Wolf of Wall Street tells the people, sell me this pen. See if you can sell me this pen. We'll see if you're a good salesman. Can I give you the sales pitch for something that I want to sell to you? Just like in the last minute here. Just if you need to close your eyes, just imagine how incredible this product is. It says, this product will provide a 60% increase in back pain and spinal problems. This product will deliver lasting nerve damage that leads to constant headaches and migraines. It'll cause dramatic increase in your levels of stress and anxiety and depression. It'll severely limit your ability to lose weight and cause you to fall well below the global average for cardiovascular fitness. It will cause greater sleep deprivation than drinking a double espresso right before bedtime. It'll destroy your attention span and drain your ability to perform tasks with focus and diligence. It will help you become substantially more antisocial, selfish, and isolated, and it will deliver without fail 
10 times the number of bacteria that is found on a toilet seat. Now, I know you're saying, Joe, you could have stopped in the middle. I was sold. Like, here's my money. Give me this thing, this wonder product, whatever it is. Please sell it to me. But the issue is I cannot sell it to you because you already have it. In fact, you've been dying to look at it just a couple of times in the last couple of minutes because my wonder product is the, the humble smartphone. Now, we know all of this. It's like the highway to distracted and isolated and depressed minds and hearts. And yet, all of us cannot help ourselves. Why is that? It's because how often do we continue down small step paths that we know will not turn us into the people that we want to be, that God has called us to be, and yet we persist? Is the answer to throw it away? No. But the answer is to say, God, every little step that I take is a vote in the direction of who you want me to be. And I can see my life as the humble cell phone, the smartphone. It's all going in the direction. God, I feel out of control. It's not, it's not what you want. Or I can say, God, not even tomorrow, today, God. The fact that you're here, that's a vote in the direction of God. Make me a missionary for the city. Tomorrow morning, God, make, make every action and word, every habit, every step, I want to go in the direction of who you have formed me to be. Because that's what the early church did. It was just a habit of good newsing and encountering that God in their hearts for this city. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, I pray for every single person here today that they would almost just be lifted in their sight to 2023 as a year where you want to do remarkable things through them. God, I pray for those spouses or friends or kids, colleagues, neighbors that, that do not yet know Jesus. God, I know that you want to do something so profound, just one step closer to Jesus through each of the partners of our church. And I pray, God, that you would make us a people that habitually just good Uses wherever we go and who just open our hearts up to what you want to say to us through your scriptures. Jesus, we are eager to meet you, know you, hear from you and follow you.